This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome to Good For Her, White Ladies in Crisis Edition. Yay! I am Jen Adams, (laughs) and I am joined, as always, by Gina Radcliffe. Hello. And Joe Lipset. Hello. And you're probably used to hearing Joe introduce our show, but I am taking the wheel today because we are talking about Stephen King, and Stephen King is totally my jam. And we're we're specifically talking about Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's Game, the books and the film adaptations. I think these are both great examples of good for her horror, and they also happen to be connected, which is why we are pairing them together. Um, But before we get started, I kind of wanted, I'm curious about your experiences with Stephen King in general. Gina, why don't you go first? (laughs) We're we're aggressively, we're aggressively polite. Uh, We're aggressively polite, right? (laughs) In that, in that case, I will go first. Uh, Yeah, I would say I'm a, I'm a big Stephen King fan. Um, I, probably been reading him since i was about 10 or 11 uh my parents Mm -hmm. kind of turned me on to him um i mean for better or worse i don't know if it's if it's good for your parents to be encouraging (laughs) a child to read stephen king but uh Mm -hmm. i believe the first book of his that i read was the shining didn't really understand Mm -hmm. it all that much uh and then i Mm -hmm. and then i reread it again as a teenager and i was like oh okay i I get this now that this is not (laughs) about a haunted house (laughs) this is uh, this is about about, uh, a a crippling addiction i get it now okay yep Mm -hmm. um now as far as like uh adaptations uh you know as as i'm sure you would agree they're they've been a bit hit or miss uh, but I'm going to always stump for Salem's Lot as uh, one ah, of yes. my one of my favorite adaptations. Uh, I, I hope should the one they just made ever come out, which uh, does oh not God. seem does not seem like that's anytime soon. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if that's because of all this new nonsense that uh, the new uh, leader of the, uh, Warner Brothers is doing, or if it's really just that bad and they don't know what to do with it, uh, I would mm-hmm. like to see it because I, you know, I just want to see you from a modern perspective what it would look like. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I, mm-hmm. think the, I think the last King book I read was, um, I think it was the Institute. Mm-hmm. I'm going. I'm thinking. I'm thinking chronologically. I know. Uh, fairly recently, I read Revival, and I and I. Really, really like that one. Um, Ooh, that's a dark one. <laughs> but I know he's got. I think he has. He's had at least one more out since then. I have not yet had a chance to read. Mm. And Joe, what about you? <laughs> Jen's like, let me tell you. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. I'm really like really struggling to stay focused on what we are going to talk about today, and not just like unleash this pound of Stephen King knowledge in my brain. But. <laughs> I was going to say, as a reminder, <laughs> folks, Jen does have a whole other podcast That's dedicated right. <laughs> exclusively to Stephen King. That's right. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so for me, I'm probably the least enthusiastic of the three of us. I admire Stephen King greatly, but I get continually frustrated 
sometimes his inability to edit mm-hmm. himself or to get rid of some of his uh he has a lot of like recurring things and I don't always enjoy all of them. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, I haven't read a huge number of his books. So I've read a number of the classics like mm-hmm. It and Needful Things and yes, uh, The Shining and Carrie and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I read a lot of like the early stuff, which I think is when he was maybe slightly less progressive and he's probably yep. worked a lot of those things out. Mm-hmm. Same with Gina. I've seen most of the adaptations. I think, yeah, they're very hit and miss. But when they hit, they're really fucking good. Mm -hmm. And even when they miss, they've often got really interesting things. So for me, it's mostly, yeah, I wish he had a slightly tighter edit. And I sometimes get annoyed with his inability to land the plane. I get really annoyed at his endings. (laughs) Yep. Not so in, (laughs) in the two films we're talking about, though. Oh, yeah. These are two of my favorites of King's books. Um, And again, you know, I don't want to go too far into my background on Stephen King because like we all said, I have a whole podcast that I've talked extensively about this on. But I am a huge, huge fan. I've often said Stephen King is my favorite person I've never met before. Um, (laughs) But I also (laughs) I agree with a lot of what of criticisms that he gets. Like, I do not think he is a perfect person person or a perfect writer but I think he is a very empathetic writer and that's what mm. I connect with you know I think he's really good at um helping me get into the mindset of a character and helping me make emotional connections to the stories he also has a really similar life story to me in a lot of ways aside from the fact that like he's this mega famous author and like you know also probably more than twice my age and lives in a state I've never been to. But like he, <laughs> we have similar like life experiences. Like he's written a lot about addiction, which is something that I've struggled with. He's written about um, just kind of parenting, the struggles of being a parent and how stressful that can be. So that's a lot of times what I connect with. Um, and that mm-hmm. helps me overlook some of the flaws that I see in his writing. Um But yeah, the two, I think my favorite adaptation is Gerald's Game. It's one of my favorite books Mm. of all time, too, um, of his. It's in my top five. The Stand is my number one of all time because I just, it's part nostalgia, part, like, that was the first one I read, and I just love it. Um, But we today are going to talk about two of my favorites from my favorite series of Stephen King uh, stories, which is, I think of as the Eclipse novels. But um, before we kind of dive into that, I want to talk about the concept of good for her because I, you know, I think this is kind of a nebulous concept. It's kind of a newer thing that's emerging in like horror and and kind of feminist writing and and film. And I'm just curious, what do you, how do you define good for her? Well, I think uh, if you're talking in terms of like a, a Stephen King type universe, I it, mm-hmm. it, it, it would seem to me to be a woman uh, or you know a, a young girl uh, sort of getting through a, a traumatic experience and coming out of it better in the end for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm not sure. Like right. I, I know people tend to classify uh, like in Midsummer as good for her horror. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I would mm-hmm. call it that because I, I don't know if this works out for her in the end. If you want to look at it, if you want to look at it in overly simplified terms where she got rid of her shitty boyfriend, you know, 
fine. But now she's in a cult. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. you know she yeah. has no one left. Her, her family is dead. Her her boyfriend is dead. You know, you know, all the friends that we know of that she has are dead. So what exactly is working out for her here? So I wouldn't, right. I, I think that's mm-hmm. a little too simplified. But something like, say, Dolores Claiborne is, you know, she, this, this is not, this is not a, a, a good thing that she goes through, but it, it is, mm-hmm. it, it's a thing that she must go through in, in order to, to survive. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that when it's, when by this term is good for her, it's, you know, they, they come out at the end, you know, you would be a little, a little harder, a little sadder, but a stronger person for it. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, Gina, because the the context that I've most often heard it framed through is often associating rape revenge films mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the concept. So it's this idea that, yes, they've got to go through a harrowing, often torturous, often psychological, sexual assault. And then it's not that they come out the other side stronger or better off but also that they get revenge or Mm -hmm. vengeance right so i feel like and and to me those are two very different concepts right Mm -hmm. like people coming out better for it stronger more resilient is incredibly different than oh you have to go to the absolute bottom of like human existence and then you know kind of crawl your way back up the hill Mm -hmm. so i think that the Yeah, you're right, Jen. It's a very nebulous term. It Mm -hmm. feels like people have different definitions for it, Mm -hmm. depending on which angle and maybe even which lived experience they're coming to the term with. Yeah, I agree. And I think I could be wrong about this, but the origin of it from what I can kind of put my finger on is that Arrested Development episode when, um, gosh, I cannot Mm. remember the mom's name, where she's like, good for her, talking about a woman who like burned something down, you know? Um, Right. And so, like, when I think about, I think, what it means for me, because, Gina, I have the same question about whether Gone Girl is good for her, mm, or, you know, right. which I think there's a lot in that book and in that story that I connect with and I would classify as good for her. But, like, I don't think she is the hero of that story, you know? No, so no, no. That- she, she's, the, she's the villain. So I, I, you know, you could say that there are right. more than one villain, in, but she's, I think she is the primary antagonist and mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I think that the fact that she is sort of instrumental in keeping every in, in starting everything moving i i don't think that she survives anything you know she just sort of right. comes out on top for this you know heinous act of deception that she that she pulls mm-hmm. i mean I, <laughs> I, I i guess you could say that when she uh um kills uh, uh neil patrick harris's character neil patrick harris yeah mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. you could you could classify that as a good for her moment but even then it's sort of she she kind of plans it out and and yeah and oh, he's, sure you know i mean he's not I, I hate to put it this way like i don't think he thinks he's raping her i think that 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 right that mm-hmm. you know he he thinks that she's having sex with him consensually and mm-hmm. so right. I, in, in a sense she tricks him as well i mean yeah he's definitely sleazy and abusive but in the end you know it, it's her deception that gets him killed anyway so yeah no you're yeah. right i would yeah. i wouldn't cl- i wouldn't count that as good for her i would just count that as you know a fun female villain 
<laughs> and mm. I love female villains. Like that is like I started a blog about it that I really need to be more diligent about posting on. <laughs> but, but like I am. Be kind to yourself, Jen. I know, you're, thank you. Yes. Um, but I am fascinated by female villains and like by the women that society fears. And, and that I think goes a long way into what I kind of understand is good for her horror. Like when I think about a good for her character, I think about a female identifying character who kind of has to take on the appearance of a villain to survive in a lot of ways. Mm. You know, like like I look at Dolores Claiborne and just all of the talk about how like you have to be a bitch to survive or you have to uh, like yes. in the idea of rape revenge, like society is not going to give me justice. So I have to right. become a murderer to get justice, you know? And I think about like taking on the the mantle of villainy in order to get the power that society won't give me you know right so according to this definition i don't want to belabor the point but mm -hmm. do women then need to not just survive but also thrive or is it enough for them just to survive you know i don't know i think because i don't want to limit like when I, I i just gave a definition that i think Okay, so let me put it this way. When I was making a list of Stephen King's good for her characters, I did not mm -hmm. put Donna Trent from Cujo on it because oh, okay. I was like, she, what does she, right. who is she overcoming? She's overcoming circumstances. And, mm -hmm. but then based on, Gina, what you were saying earlier, I think I would definitely put her on that list. So I don't know. And like, I think you may have talked me into expanding <laughs> my definition a little bit, you know? <laughs> Maybe it's fluid. Maybe it's liminal. Right. And I think a lot of times it's just like a really empowering character that we connect with, you know, is what, mm. like, if you can get that good for her feeling, then it is good for her horror, you know? Right. If you can celebrate her accomplishments, and maybe that's where she ends up at the end of the text. Like, I see that you got um, Lizzie from oh, Lizzie's uh -huh. story in here. And Terry and I talked about that on the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. We covered that show. Mm -hmm. And she's interesting, too, right? Because in a, in a way, she doesn't do too, too much until she actually does. And right. then it's like, oh, okay, and now she's fighting for her life. But also, she's coming to grips with the fact that her husband was, like, kind of gaslighting her. Uh -huh. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, he was not a great man, yeah. you know. And we're getting into some classic Stephen King sort of archetypes. Yes. But right, the whole secret, the whole secret life thing. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that Lisey's story is all about him also, you know. Like, oh, my God. Mm. That drove me bananas. <laughs> it's literally called Lisey's story. And he dedicated it to Tabitha King. <laughs> uh, I know. There's so much. You know, we might need to have an episode on that. That would be an interesting White Ladies in Crisis um, conversation. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> if we ever wanted to dive <laughs> back into it, because I know, Joe, you and I have spilled a lot of words on, on that show. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe to kind of transition <laughs> into um, what good for her means to Stephen King. And I think it's kind of all of what we were talking about. And I don't know if he really writes through this lens intentionally, but he does have a surprising amount of strong female characters I've found in mm -hmm. his work. Not all of them. He has like Susan Norton, as much as I love um, Salem's Lot, she is 
not one of my favorite characters. Um, and a lot of people would <laughs> do not like Franny, although Franny will her forever have my heart from the stand. Um, I'm blinded by my love for her and I can't see any criticism. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I just kind of made a list of some really strong, good for her type characters from Stephen King's work. I have Carrie White from Carrie, who I think is maybe like, if you were to mm-hmm. look up good for her in the dictionary, it might have a picture of her. You know, that's kind of a classic example. For sure. You consider good for her, even if the character that doesn't survive, like if she dies at the end, like, like you, you classify that as good for her as well. I think I would. Yeah, I think especially in the context of this story, I think, because I think she I don't necessarily think I need her to survive, but I need her to reclaim power in some way. You know, no, that, right. that counts. And also in, a, in sort of a, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, yeah, I die, but you're never going to forget me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I, and that goes back into what I was talking about, about taking on the role of a villain, you know, cause she is, she is, she kills a lot of people <laughs> in that book, you know? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then I've got Charlie McGee, who is just like, if I, I, she and Sydney Prescott may be my two favorite characters of all time. I just love Charlie McGee. One day I will figure out how to start fires with my mind. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. <laughs> but <laughs> And then I have Wendy Torrance from The Shining, the book The Shining. Um, the movie The Shining is a whole other conversation. But Wendy Torrance. Yeah, I'm glad, you cla- I'm glad you clarified that. Like it's two entirely different characters. Two entirely, entirely different. Entirely different. Yes. yes. Yeah. But book Wendy is amazing. And I love Wendy in Doctor Sleep also. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Susanna Dean from the Dark Tower series, uh, Beverly Marsh in it, Lisey, we already talked about from Lisey's story, Polly Chalmers from Needful Things, and <laughs> uh, Trisha McFarlane from The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, Holly Gibney, who has been in five King books, but I would say If It Bleeds is probably her best story. Um, she, I think King took a while to figure out how to write her, and I really loved yeah, If yeah. It Bleeds, but not so much the Hodges trilogy. Anyways, um, Ophelia mm-hmm. Todd from Mrs. Todd Shortcut, which if you have not read this short story, is one of my all-time favorites. It's in Stel- Skeleton Crew. Darcy Anderson from A Good Marriage. Tess from Big Driver. M from The Gingerbread Girl. Maddie Pace from Home Delivery. These are all short stories and novellas. I was going to say, you're doing some deep dives now. here. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went through the whole website. Um, Elizabeth Rogan from I Know What You Need. Miss Sidley from Suffer the Little Children, which is maybe a bit controversial. And then Alice from Billy Summers, which is his newest one. Um, that That's an interesting um, character that is maybe warrants her own conversation at some time, but I, I loved Billy Summers. Did either of y'all read Billy Summers yet? No, that's the one I think I, I was not. thinking of that, that I know, I know he's had a, a more recent book, but I, I haven't gotten to that one oh, yeah. yet. I loved it. I was really surprised by how much I loved it. And I was like sobbing on the last page, but, um, <laughs> but <laughs> to the two books that we are talking about, um, if you are a constant reader, you probably notice I skipped a couple of notable ones and they're the ones that I want to talk about today. There's Jesse Burlingame from Gerald's Game. There's Dolores Claiborne from Dolores Claiborne. There's Helen Deepno from Insomnia and Rose Daniels from Rose Matter. And so we've got Gerald's Game in 92, Dolores Claiborne also in 92, which just like kind of on its face blows my wow. mind at how frequently like he's putting stories out, you know. 
Um, oh my god, I can't with his productivity. I know, I, I, I know. can't keep it's, up. Like it's, it's, it's insane. <laughs> I, I just like how, mm-hmm. how. And I totally believe he does his. I totally believe he writes his own books too, because pe- people have oh, totally people have speculated that he like you know there's like a James Patterson thing going on where he has like ghostwriters. No. Like no, this is no. this is all him. Mm-mm. This is all him. Oh yeah, it it's screams him. him. You know, there's actually uh, there was a theory for a while that Tabitha actually wrote Gerald's game um, because people were like, how could a man write a woman? You know, and. I I don't agree with that, but you know that was a a theory. He writes amazing female characters. I mean, he he doesn't do black characters, and he doesn't do gay characters very very well at all. But 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 women characters, he does very well. And I think a lot of that's because he doesn't really know any black people or gay people. <laughs> you know, I think he knows da- a lot I mean, of daughter, women. His daughter's gay, but oh, but, that's I right, mean, that's right. She is. Yeah, he, he he's got some big um, problematic spots. Um, we little little boomerish in his approach. <laughs> right, yeah. but let's be clear: not everyone needs to be an expert on writing every type of character. That's I think true. it just sort of shines a little bit more clearly on him because his output is so vast, and right. you can see him trying to make the effort, but he doesn't really. Mm, he doesn't nail the landing. Yeah. But you know what? I'd rather him make the effort and continue to work at it than just right. have all straight cis white characters in all of his books. You or, know? Be de- like, or, or be I, defensive I like about, you know, how, how he, exactly right. where he miss where he, you know, doesn't stick the landing as it were. I think he is open to doing better, <laughs> which is more yeah. than you could say for a lot of people his age and younger. Uh-huh. Oh, absolutely. Gina, I totally thought you were making a dig at a certain UK children's author who <laughs> no, told, literally no, just was. wrote a book about how I, she's being antagonized. No, 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 no I, I was. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, but, you know, people not being open to learn or, you know. Yeah, no, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, He. we did a, a episode on his habit of writing magical Negroes, especially earlier in his career. Yeah, yeah. And went back mm-hmm. and looked at some of... Um, some interviews about it and he's pretty candid about like saying yeah i think i messed that character up yeah i think i could do better yeah. about that and i think he is trying to get better at it but and that's all we want right exactly. like that's as much as you can ask for unless you're gonna go through like sensitivity readers and that kind of stuff which is like yeah also do that stuff but right. i mean jesus christ just own the mistakes it's not that hard we're all human beings who want to grow yeah Exactly. And I think like you said, too, because his output is so vast, he's got 20 times as many characters for us to pick apart than the average Mm -hmm. author, you know, so the flaws show more, but also the strengths show more, too, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But so from 1992 to 95, he released four novels, and that's not including a short story collection, and I think there was also a book of four novellas that came in uh, maybe 93. I'm going to have to look. So constant readers are screaming at me. <laughs> but um, So he's got Helen Deepno in Insomnia in 1994 and Rose Daniels in Rose Matter in 1995. I call this stretch of his writing the Eclipse books because there is a, an eclipse in... Gerald's Game and Dolores Claiborne. There is not an eclipse in Insomnia. Insomnia is bonkers. It's not so much about 
Helen Deep know, but she is a pretty major character. And then Rose Matter is about a woman who has an extremely abusive husband, like a horrifically cartoonishly abusive husband. But it is about her journey out of that marriage. And then Insomnia mm. is about a woman who is married to, um, I guess now we would call him a domestic terrorist, but he's also extremely abusive to her. So there's this this theme in these stretch of years about women who are escaping abusive marriages. Uh, to me, they're, they're among his most, like, nightmarish books. Like, like, like because uh-huh. they're... Most of what happens is, you know, there there aren't real quote unquote monsters in them, but the mm-hmm. these these male characters are perceived as monsters. Like I, I guess Rose Matter, right. you could say he kind of turns into a monster. He like he, he yeah. kind of turns into like this like bull creature, but I don't think he's literally turning into this monster. I think it's how she's kind of seeing him in this in this yeah. alternate right. universe. But it's I mean, it's mm-hmm. because it's so you know the, the the you know the terrorizing these characters do to these women is is so visceral that it, to me it's much scarier than than like The Shining, which is a great book and and an unsettling mm-hmm. book, but in a completely undif- in a completely different way. Yeah, I think around um, Misery, which I believe was released in 1990, um, he starts mm-hmm. to get real introspective and he his casts start to shrink. This is not like there are like outliers in this because he just has so many fucking books, you know, but, right. <laughs> um, but he starts to get really introspective and the monsters start to be less paranormal and less fantastical and more about the monsters that we live with or the monsters that live mm-hmm. in our brains. And I mean, that's always been a theme, like a case in point is the shining, but I think in this stretch, he is really starting to examine like, how we become monsters ourselves and the monsters that we might live with and not and and not realize that they are being monsters to us and i think mm-hmm. we can't overlook when we talk about this period the fact that this is around the time that he got sober he has famously said he does not remember writing cujo and he mm-hmm. around I think Tommy Knockers may have been one of his last books where he was fully under the influence. I think you can feel it when you read that book, although there's a lot of really fun stuff in that book. It's really all over the place, though. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. That, speaking of editing, like that's one that I think could, right? could use a couple hundred pages <laughs> out of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think my so my speculation, this is just my speculation. And I always want to say that when I talk about someone else's sobriety or their journey through sobriety, because that is none of my business. But I'm looking at the art and how this theme is reflected in the art. So I just want to give that um, right. clarification. But I think that this is him kind of grappling with what it was like for Tabitha to live with him for all of the years that he was under the influence of drugs and alcohol. I think he, like, if you, if I look at Cujo, I think that is a novel about being trapped by addiction. And when mm. I look at this stretch of books, I think I feel the theme. These are, he's exploring what it was like to be trapped in a marriage with him as an alcoholic, you know? And I think that's why there are so many human monsters in these stories, you know? 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that makes an incredible amount of sense. And I don't think we'll ever really know just how bad things got for them because yeah. they both seem like very reticent people and talking about their their lives together, other than to say they really love each other and that Tabitha's very mm-hmm. supportive mm-hmm. of his writing career. But I yeah, you you know, I have lived with people not in a romantic relationship, but you know, certainly with parents and all who have had addiction problems. And, you know, it, it's, it almost seems like a cliche when you say, yeah, they turn into a completely different person. And, and yeah. you, know, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if if things ever got to the point of being, you know, where he actually put his hands on her or anything. But I, I'm sure to his perception, he must have looked like a monster to her. And yeah, and yeah. I, I feel right. like he's, he's spent the better part of his, the past 25 years of his writing career, kind of apologizing to her, like, over and over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's yeah. kind of beautiful in a way. I do too. Yeah. And I mean, I think we will never know what it was like. And, you know, I also want to be clear, like, we don't, I, I don't think we need to know, you know, I think and no, th- no, we no, know no, enough no. through his writing, you know, um, and, but that's, I think what I connect with so much because like me too, I've lived with an alcoholic and I've been the alcoholic that somebody has lived with. So I've kind of see both sides of this. And I think that's why I connect so strongly to this, these stories, because I like I've uncovered specific like repressed memories through some of these books. I like they really mean a lot to me. I love them so much. I'm so excited to talk about them. But the, mm-hmm. this stretch is my favorite. He's going to continue to explore these themes, but I think this is when he was really, really in the middle of it, you know? Right. No, I was actually going to bring up Rose Matter again, and and, and we're not oh, really talking no, about that. So, no, I just think that's probably, again, one of his books, his, his rawest books. Like, yeah. it's just this, this, this character is so terrible he's i i, I think mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. probably the, the the and i say worse i don't mean badly written i mean most horrifying character like he yeah he, he goes and shoots up a, you know, a women's center and it's just like mm-hmm. it's it just this is like i i'm not surprised they haven't made a an adaptation of this one because i i don't know how you yeah. could it, it would be. I don't know it, if I want to see an adaptation. No, of it. it would be absolutely. It would be. It, it would be just just an endurance test to have to watch. Yeah, Joe, have, oh, have wow. you read Rose Matter? I'm, I'm fascinated. I have. I have not. I don't know anything about this story. So just hearing it, sort of third person from the two of you right now. Wow. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, a lot. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> well, it's also. I mean, it gets a lot of criticism, and one of the criticisms it gets is that the villain is too over the top, and it's, it's too like, much. Yeah, mm. and I I hear that criticism. I don't agree with it, mostly just because I connect so much with this story. You know, it it just right. it's a really personal one for me. Like, there's a scene in this that I had been through and had never heard anybody else talk about it before and i read the pages and i was just started crying so i was like oh my god somebody else um but so it it's a really good book but it is a very challenging book so if any anybody is listening and wanting to read that i would recommend it but just all the trigger lots, warnings lots of right. content lots of lots of content warnings <laughs> Yep. This is also another example of him not particularly writing sensitively for some um, 
some characters, but that, again, yeah, that's, that's all. That's that's true. Yeah, that that's also something yeah. to be aware of. There's there's some problematic stuff in that book too, um, but <laughs> it was also I don't know. It was like 25 years ago. My mental math is failing. Um, but let's let's talk about Gerald's game and Dolores Claiborne. I'm gonna give just real quick synopsis of these books in case you haven't read them. Um, Jesse Burlingame goes on an impromptu getaway to her lake house with her lecherous husband, Gerald. <laughs> he handcuffs her to the bed for some bondage play she's not particularly into. He has a heart attack and dies, leaving her handcuffed to the bed. In order to free herself, she must confront a painful memory from her past. And then Dolores Claiborne. Uh, Dolores is a hardworking island woman who works for an uncompromising wealthy woman named Vera. When Vera dies, Dolores is accused of her murder, but ends up confessing to the long ago murder of her also lecherous husband. <laughs> so that is like the bare bones of these books. Um, oh, yeah. And the reason I wanted to connect these, and we're going to be talking mostly about the adaptations, and these adaptations are fairly faithful, I think. Um, hmm, but okay. they are... The connections between these two, the reason that I call them Eclipse books um, and the Eclipse series is because this eclipse that both of these women go through, it's the same eclipse. In one of the books, there's actually a map and you can see both locations of where Dolores is and where Jesse is um, mm. connecting in like the path of the eclipse. Um, both women see each other during the eclipse. They kind of have a vision. Jesse has a vision of a woman looking over a well, and Dolores has a one a vision of a little girl sitting on her father's lap. And then later on, when Jesse is trapped and Vera has died, but Dolores hasn't confessed yet, they see each other again. So in these times of crisis, they are connected by this shared like trauma and like what and what we're about to talk about. But so that's the reason that we paired them together. Um, so just real quick, before we start going into the adaptations, had either of you read these books before? I have not. I did. Uh, I, I, I did, uh, but a pretty long time ago. I, I did not have a chance to reread them before recording this. Okay. Oh, I'm excited. That means we're going to have some interesting, like, I, I like to see these stories through fresh eyes, you know, and seeing like the ways the adaptations hit, because it's just so hard for me to divorce myself from the books. Cause these are two of the mm -hmm. books that I've probably, I've probably read Dolores Claiborne more than I've read any other book, but Pet Cemetery. Like, wow. Francis Sternhagen, who can do no wrong, reads Dolores Claiborne on the audio and it is incredible. I would listen to it on repeat if I could. It's so good. Um, so I would actually <laughs> recommend listening to that rather than like reading the book with your eyes. But um, okay, so let's see. So let's talk about the movies. So Dolores Claiborne. And you know what? I think we can kind of just dive into talking about each movie, if that's okay with y'all. Sure. Sure. Okay, cool. Um, so let's start with... Gerald's game is chronologically first in King's canon, but Dolores Claiborne is the first movie. So maybe let's start there. I also think that Dolores Claiborne is a little bit more of a easier identification mm -hmm. of good for her, you know, as far as maybe the definition that I was talking about. So this is a 1995 film directed by Taylor Hackford, starring the fantastic Kathy Bates, the also fantastic Jennifer Jason Lee, David Strathairn. 
Is that how you say mm-hmm. it? This is a this, uh, straight and Christopher Aaron, Plummer I think. and Judy Parfit. Yeah, straight this cast. Aaron? Okay, this cast. Oh my god! I know what, what an amazing <laughs> cast. It, it's it, it's just the best cast that has ever been attached to a Stephen King adaptation. I I would I would say. I it mean, is. no. <laughs> I would say no? most King adaptations get like fantastic cast, but I mean, yeah, but you're not wrong that one, this is though. like an all timer. Yeah, well, and it's well cast too. Like I feel like a lot of times, yes. like you get James Franco playing Jake Epping in um, Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three, which was not—I don't think—was great casting. You know, I would say right. Misery maybe tops this. Uh, and may I don't know. It is a fantastic cast, but like the characters yeah. are very well brought to life. <laughs> and so, let just real quick before I keep saying like before we start talking, um, <laughs> differences between the book and the movie. This is a little. It's not substantially different, but there are some pretty notable differences. So in the book, it's all first person dialogue. Dolores is telling the story to the police um, people who we never really, we know who their names are, but they never talk. It's all first person dialogue and Dolores Claiborne Mm -hmm. telling this story, which is partly why I love listening to the audio because it's just, it was written to be heard, you know? Um, Selena does not ever come back to the island. At the very last page, it mentions that she's planning to come back to the island, but other than flashbacks, she's not a character in the story. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so it's, only, I, know, I get issue, why they we did never it. See her as an, we never see her as an adult then? Or, or, I, I don't remember. No, I we don't. I really don't remember that much. Oh, okay. We don't. We hear about her, and she is doing the same things. Like, she is a reporter mm-hmm. in New York, but um, no, she is not part of the story actively i think they did that because a lot of it is dolores telling the story and she is a person dolores could tell the story to you know like i understand why they did it and i think it works really well for the movie too um detective mackie's role is a lot smaller um and then these are just small differences but it's not one million it's 30 million dollars in the book which would be a little bit more motive um she's Mm -hmm. got two other sons so selena is not an only child um, and in the book, she is a lot more motivated by anger at Joe. Um, I wouldn't say more motivated by anger at Joe than her, like, wanting to protect Selena, but her anger at Joe is a bigger factor than it is in the movie. So hmm. um, so I kind of just want to get y'all's reactions to this movie. So this was a first time watch for me, but I'd heard from a lot of folks that this was one of the books that King had written that like could never be adapted because Mm. of what you talked about, the first person Mm -hmm. narration. And it is really fascinating to hear that Selena was not a more active character in the book because I think it's hugely instrumental to have this mother-daughter dynamic, Mm -hmm. in part because these actresses are so fucking good together, but also just because I think it lends the film a completely different energy than if it was a woman just telling men mm-hmm. about her life experiences like but maybe I'll leave it there just because we'll we'll have plenty more to say about <laughs> it but I really like this movie I thought it was really really well done yeah I agree Gina what do you think yeah I I thought it was very well done too and I I, and I also agree that making selena's role in it much bigger is is you really adds so much more to the overall story because you've also got this sort of subplot where she is 
very much repressed this memory of of being molested by her father, Mm -hmm. which is which was kind Mm -hmm. of the whole instigating event that led to his quote unquote accidental death. But she's also she's she's taking she's on pills, she's drinking, so mm-hmm. you know, it, she's you know, both struggling with her repressed memories and also repeating the cycle of her father's alcoholism, which yes. is you know which is uh, uh and you know sort of angrily lashing out at, at at her mother as he did when she would question her about it, and I I think mm-hmm. it it does a lot to sort of illustrate these negative cycles that people get into when they grow mm-hmm. up in you know, you know, in households where uh, abuse and alcoholism or drug addiction is present and I, I don't think she would mm-hmm. she and it's interesting that she initially has you know I wouldn't say she you know has you know, you know, speaks glow in glowing terms about her father but she definitely seems mm-hmm. to downplay a lot of his mm-hmm. You know, behavior. You know, it's like, oh, I always mm-hmm. remember the fighting, and not as opposed to, oh, I right. always remember like you know him, you know, berating you. Like she's she's mm-hmm. sort of like the time he re- fucking hit you with a log, right? Yeah. Right. Like like mm-hmm. he she's reframed it in her mind as a sort of mutual thing that you know that they both mm-hmm. treat each other poorly when you know. Yeah, her mom is kind of a hard ass and maybe not the most demonstrative woman in the world, but but you know, her father was just, you know, a drunk and a bully. And and uh-huh. you know, yeah. she sort of, you know, convinced herself in 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 her in her own mind that they are both, you know, equally you know, complicit in the problems in their in their marriage and their unhappy household. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Selena is a part of this story. In the book, we hear that she like slurs when she calls her mom. So we get like this kind right. of hints of this troubled life. But also in the book, like it's stretched out. Like the time period is a little more stretched out. So Selena on the ferry tells Dolores everything that's happened. And Dolores in that moment says, I'm going to take care of it. They embrace, they like kind of have this moment. And then Dolores that night comes home and takes care of everything or she says hey joe you're not going to touch um she has she gives the speech that she gives in front of the eclipse in the movie mm-hmm. uh the night that selena tells her and then it's a stretch of time before joe dies so in the book it's like mm. selena has some peace at home before this she's not so angry at her mom and there's also not this element of repression, which I think is a really interesting one that the movie pulls out. And I like that we see the other side of this kind of good for her concept, because I, that maybe leads to the next thing that I want to talk about is, you know, one of my questions when I was writing this outline is good for who? You know, who is the good for her character? And I think we have three in this movie. Um but so Dolores kills her husband because he is molesting his daughter. He's terribly abusive. He's just awful in just about <laughs> every awful. way, other than looking like David straight there. And like, he's pretty terrible in just about every way you can be terrible, you know. <laughs> but I will say, having overheard the conversation about Rose Matter, this seems, oh God, this sounds terrible to say, <laughs> but this is 
more of the quote-unquote classic mm-hmm. uh, kind of like drunk, abusive, molesty kind of man, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. it's not so over the top that we look at him and say, well, this is a caricature. This is a figment of somebody's imagination. I've never met someone like this. I could see Joe passing among other people or like he's probably the most popular guy down at the pub yeah and then he's a total fucking asshole to his wife and daughter mm-hmm. like this is a real character to me i agree oh yeah, yeah no yeah totally and and i think that that selena you know one of the things selena struggles with and unfortunately a lot of people who deal with you know sexual abuses in the family struggles with you know still loving him as a father and not knowing how to comprehend mm-hmm. because you know joe i mean beyond the sexual abuse obviously treats her pretty well like you know he, he right he doesn't seem to treat her you know in the same sort of bullying manner that he treats dolores so but mm-hmm. you know which is unfortunate because that is a sort of manipulation tactic that a lot of abusers mm-hmm. you know, take in which they they you know, save up all their aggression for their spouse and then you know, kind of make sure they're you know, tries to ensure that their kids are on their side and it sort of works you know selena seems mm-hmm. to think that dolores gave as good as she got as far as the abuse in that relationship when that simply just wasn't so. Mm. Right. Right. And I think that kind of comes into this, like Dolores' need to want to protect Selena, not only from Joe's physical actions, but just from like living in an unhappy home. You know, she wants to kind of cover over the, the trouble between her and Joe. And I think in the book, it's, there's a direct line between her trying to cover that up and, between selena kind of getting closer to joe and joe taking that as a like a sexual advance you know but i think Mm. what we see there is that she like it i think it's always better to just get stuff out in the open i think that (laughs) (laughs) that may be more the overarching theme of the novel but like i agree i think he is he feels like a real character he feels like some people that i've known and he Mm -hmm. feels like somebody i agree like it's he does have some good qualities like or if you catch him on the right day (laughs) he seems great you know which or or how a lot of abusers are you know they're able to hide their like disgustingness really well and so I think my question, and I want to talk about this in the context of the movie, because it's a little different in the book, but do you think Dolores needed to kill him, and do you think she should have killed him? I, it's difficult to say, because this would have been, like, the it was, this was supposed to be the 1970s when the original, mm-hmm. when, the, when the, the, the accident happened, right? And she was on this little tiny so. island. She didn't really seem to have any you know, skills beyond being a housekeeper. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that she, in terms of how she felt and her options, I, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, m- murder isn't right, but at the same time, yeah. she, you know, there was no other way for her to escape. And, and also, I'm of the mindset that most people who hurt children in that regard do deserve to die so I mean, mm. you know i take a, 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 a you know to be you know blunt about it it's not like she you know, she she could have pulled him out of that well and maybe he would have been grateful to her for a day or two 
and then things would have gone gone right back to the way they were before or he would have found some way to blame her for the accident which you know it wasn't you know she did kind of she didn't didn't instigate it he didn't have to chase after her you know Mm -hmm. i i do believe that she felt there was no other way i don't think that she took any sort of real pleasure from doing it I mean, one of the interesting things that the film makes very clear is that, yeah, Dolores doesn't have a lot of options based on the community, based on her income, based on her status, right? Like, Mm -hmm. she is a working class woman. She is not like Vera. She doesn't have the luxury of saying, oh, well, I can just plan an elaborate murder with, you know, cutting my husband's brakes, and then I'll just inherit all the money. It's like, she had an escape plan. Mm -hmm. And then Joe kind of forces her hand. Mm -hmm. And then she learns about the sexual abuse. And it's like, all right, well, these stars have aligned or (laughs) this eclipse has aligned (laughs) Mm -hmm. and now joe's gotta go so i think in another variation of this story she might have just you know forced him to tell her where the money was and then just absconded with it like take take selena and run or something or just divorce him and try to get as much money as you possibly can but the realities of her situation is yeah she probably said well fuck it's probably easier to murder him. Right. Because I think the likelihood of being able to get him to tell her where all the money is, is mm-hmm. very low. And I think, you know, this is probably a dumb reference, but I always think about Britney Spears and Kevin Federline when I think about having children with someone, you know, like. Once trap with them. You are going to be, <laughs> yeah. that person is going to be in your life until one of you is dead, you know. Mm-hmm. That, and mm-hmm. that's, I think. That's when I think I look at this as like a really good example of good for her is that she is taking on this villainous act. She is becoming a murderer in order to get protection that I don't think she can get any other way. You know, mm-hmm. ideally, she would be able to put him in jail for the rest of his life, you know, but I don't think the system, the system working that way is very mm-hmm. slim to none too. You and, know? And, and certainly not, certainly not in the seventies. Like, like it, no. it would have, right. you know, it would have been, a, you know, the, you know, the town scandal. And, you know, as, mm-hmm. as it was, nobody treats her particularly nicely. You know, at the, the, oh, yeah. the, no. the uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, she, you know, she's the one that's, you know, all bitchy and all. It's like, yeah, you know, but you got, you, none of y'all give her the time of day. Either, you know, <laughs> because, <laughs> totally. because everybody, yeah. because everybody already thinks that she killed Joe anyway. So, mm-hmm. and, and, right. the, and the fact that she's just kind of going on about her life as normal is, you know, treated as kind of a scandalous thing in this town. And, and, and nobody even knows the circumstances behind it. I mean, that's one of my favorite aspects of Dolores, uh, obviously just from the film, because I don't know the book. Mm -hmm. But I mean, she's played by Kathy Bates, Uh who is easily one of the best actresses who is working today. Mm -hmm. And she she makes the character very empathetic. But I love the fact that Dolores is not an easy person Mm -hmm. to like. Like, she's kind of a bitch. She's she's defiant. Withholds love. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, she is defiant. Yeah. Um, I I just, yeah, I mean, I think this story could be really shitty. Like, this could have been adapted, and it could be so lifetime. And I mean that sort of in the way that people probably heard it. Mm-hmm. But 
the reality is, is that these people are flawed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes the story go down so much easier. And it makes the good for her components so much stronger. Because we're not like, oh, well, she had a pitch perfect life. And then she murdered her husband. It's like, she has had a lot of shit heaped onto her plate. So when she kills Joe, and when she comes out on top, and even when she sticks it to the fucking policemen, Mm -hmm. you're just like, yeah, I am feeling good for her right now. Yeah. Well, and that goes into that whole concept of perfect victims, too. You know, like, she shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to be nice and pleasant for her to not get beaten by her husband, you know, or for her to to not get yelled at, you know? But it's just Mm -hmm. this whole concept of what we think women are supposed to be like the book goes into a lot of that there's like this also concept of of home correction which is what we would now call domestic partner violence of Hmm. like when your wife or when dinner's not on the table it's your duty as the husband to you know knock her around a little bit and that's that you're just teaching her you're just giving her home correction so oh my god i know it's disgusting (laughs) But it was real back then, you know, like this. Oh, sure. Something yeah. a lot of people grew up with. Um, I will say she is played like Kathy Bates is exactly what I picture Dolores Claiborne as, just with Frances Sternhagen's voice, because I'm so used to hearing that. But <laughs> <laughs> but I think she plays this character very well. I think she plays a character who does not care what people think of her because not because she doesn't give a fuck but because she is more concerned with other things and she's just kind of gotten to a point where she she realizes it doesn't matter as much what mm-hmm. people think of her you know which i think is good for her in a way itself you know yeah i mean the reality is is that she's got to she's got to get on with it yeah. because she doesn't have the luxury of caring what these other fucking assholes think of her cuz she's got to I mean, the interesting thing to me was the realization that she actually does like Vera. And, you know, uh-huh. it's a bit of a conceit that the film weaponizes us from that opening scene where we're made to wonder, ooh, is she actually a murderer? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, yeah, she is, just not in the way you think. Yeah. But the friendship between her and Vera is so fascinating and also fantastic. Like, I love the dynamic between all of the women in this movie, but the the unexpected joy that I get from seeing two older women who more or less have been forgotten or cast aside by all of the men and most of the townspeople. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Well, they've, they've both been I dismissed as bitches because they're, because they're, uh-huh. they're yes. you know, like I said, they're, they're defiant. They, they, they keep to themselves. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they're not, they've been, they're, they're not typical, you know, housewives, you know, beer because she's so rich and, and uh, Dolores because she's on her own. So they're, you know, at the risk of using a cliche, they're two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Vera. She's one of my favorite characters in this book. And I will say, I think a lot of the dynamic between Selena and Dolores in the movie is kind of like, you get that because we lose a little bit of the Vera-Dolores dynamic. There's a lot more of that in the book. Um Uh, Like the first hundred pages or so are like what it's like to work in Vera's house, which sounds like it would be really boring, but it's not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I I love Vera and she's the next one I wanted to talk about because she I think we could make an argument that there is a good for her element to her story as well. Although it seems like she is killing her husband as revenge for cheating or, you know, as revenge for ignoring her you know mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, we don't know enough about her, particularly in the film, to know if she is kind of justified. We see him being sort of ambivalent or just not really caring mm-hmm. about spending time with her. But also, I mean, I guess we could see it also as an extension of kind of what Gina said, you know, like, well, if you're gonna, if you're gonna molest your child, I kind of think you should die. Well, <laughs> yeah. if you're gonna commit adultery and act like a cad, I kind of want to see you get punished for it. Right. Yeah. Well, and like, I wonder, you know, if she had a prenuptial agreement, you know, if she divorced him, if she left him, is she going to be left with nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's easy, I think, to say, if your husband cheats on you now, divorce him in 2022. Sure. And I think that was an entirely different thing in the 70s, you know, even though it was possible to do that, it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what the, the, one thing I think the movie does particularly well, um, and I, I don't quite remember if the book, presumably it did because the book goes much more into Dolores and uh, Vera's relationship, is just, and <laughs> as someone who's getting a little older, uh, I, I <laughs> didn't really start feeling for Vera as a character until you see how much it was destroying her to have to depend right. on other people mm-hmm. just to go to the bathroom and you yeah. know how her how her you know attempts at still being sort of the lady in charge and 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 you know giving Dolores a hard time simply came down to just refusing to let her change her diaper and and yeah. and right. you know and she be- basically becomes suicidal because she does not want to get old and I, I think one mm-hmm. of the one of the one of the best lines is you know she's like Dolores, why are you doing this? She's like, because I hate the smell of getting old. And I'm like, and mm-hmm. I and I'm like, oh god, I'm just like, I like that meme of the old man like clutching his heart, just like like mm-hmm. I mean for mm-hmm. for a, a, a movie that is written and and you know far be it for me to to give men credit for anything these days i'll just say (laughs) credit for anything these days for for a movie that is written both written and directed by men this is pretty Mm -hmm. this is pretty empathetic pretty good towards eh? towards women i i i i you know based on a book written by a man that oh i I think it's got you know it's got it right like female friendships and so. and the the complications of you know your mothers and adult daughters particularly when you're coming from a fa- uh, you know a family background where trauma is in present uh how mm-hmm. difficult it is for a, a woman you know as she ages and and is you know pretty much just forgotten by people it does all these things very well i agree mm-hmm. and i think like when i look at what vera's good for her kind of moment is I think like she has the chance to die on her own terms you know and I think that is a way of reclaiming her power I don't want to advocate for suicide in any way but I think this is a different situation it's also slightly different in the book. And, and then I think this relates to the conversation. I promise I'm not, I'm really trying to edit myself how many times I was saying, well, in the book. Mm-hmm. But in the book, she does not intend to 
kill herself. She is haunted by the guilt of what she's done. What she's done is a little different in the book that I'm not going to spoil. But And so she is running down the hall and she falls. And so she is gravely injured and she wants to die in that moment. She doesn't want to go to the hospital. So it's slightly different. Mm. So it's like, in the way that we see Selena kind of haunted by Dolores's actions, I think we see Vera haunted by her own actions also. And also in the fact that she's alone. She doesn't have her husband anymore because she killed him. Now, I don't know if her husband right. would still be there, but it is like I think you women still have to pay for this good for her. You know, we might get power back in some way and we might get some kind of triumph, but we're still going to have to pay for it because – Society doesn't want us to have that power, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting because, yeah, kind of like Gina, I found a lot to like and respect about Vera. And I hate to say that she becomes a pathetic figure because I think this is the path that many of us will find as we get a little bit older and mm-hmm. Especially in my case where I don't have kids, so mm-hmm. I'm going to be reliant on other people to either look after me or I might have to make some hard decisions. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I will condone suicide if that is a person's choice and they have thoughtfully considered it and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's conversations that we need to be having as a society where we don't have, you know, good health care yeah. or governments who will assist us and so on. But yeah, I agree with that. That's maybe another conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I guess one of the things that I like the most about Vera is that she she is a proxy. You're right, Gina. It's it's a glib sort of overuse phrase, but damn, if it doesn't apply here, these two women are uh, two sides of the same coin, or maybe even the same side of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And Vera is a different kind of model that we could see this happening to Dolores if she doesn't reconcile with Selena, if she doesn't have something change for the better in her life, right? Like mm-hmm. the only difference is that she doesn't have a Dolores to look after her in the way that Vera does her. Yes. Which I think is going to play in to a conversation we're going to have with our next book also. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to, one other thing I want to talk about with Vera, like throughout the movie, we get this, this phrase that I just am in love with about being a bitch, (laughs) you know, sometimes being a bitch is all a woman has to hold on to. And I like that. I feel like could be like a good for her mantra or a good for her in the way that I understand it. You know, like sometimes you just have to do the thing that, you know, everybody's going to hate you for, because that's the only thing you can do. The other side is like just jumping down the well, you know, um, and then we find out that this phrase actually comes from Vera. She is the first one to say it to Dolores in this fantastic fucking scene that gives me chills every time where she also says an accident is an unhappy woman's best friend, which just <laughs> it's just like chef's kiss, that statement, you know. And again, I'm not condoning murder, but, you know, I think mm. there's a lot of context that I think makes it more understandable in this story. It's just funny, though, right? Because in the mouth of like a 1940s femme fatale, that would have rang completely differently. Mm -hmm. But it's delivered so sort of cheerfully here. And it's like, well, you know, (laughs) certain things have to happen. Right. But I think that goes back to that whole like 
why would it have to be an accident, quote unquote accident, is because we don't have the power to just get the justice we need, you know, just Mm. by regular means, you know, like the whole thing with the bank, she is not able to, like, they didn't even call her. If they had just called her, then Mm -hmm. maybe Joe would still be alive, you know? I love that bank scene. I think that bank scene is actually the kind of linchpin to really understanding Dolores' situation. Mm -hmm. It illustrates everything so perfectly and so quickly. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, I think I think the the scene where uh, Beer basically just says, "Well, you know, you're just going to have to kill him." I I I, <laughs> I think that she I appreciate that because she's she is a very no bullshit person, and and mm-hmm. so is right. Dolores. And I think even though they initially don't really you know get along, I think that they both see that in each other, and that's why Dolores mm-hmm. ends up being such a good employee for her, because she's there to have a job, to do her job, and she does her job well, and she doesn't get in the way, and she can take direction. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I Vera knows, it's like, you, you can't just walk in the police station and say Joe's been molesting her. Molesting her. They're not going to do anything. You know I mean? They're, right. you know, nope. all, all, all if they believe do, you. Right. It, you know, even if they believe you, it's just going to get you into more trouble with him. So just, you know, skip all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Go directly to kill him. Just which, go straight. You know, <laughs> yeah, which, straight to the know? desired outcome. And honestly, in 2022, you know, it's like sometimes you, you wonder, it's like, maybe they should just kill him instead, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, I've definitely been much, feeling that last couple of months. <laughs> right. It's not much better, you know, for, for, for people who, who right. want to try to get justice for sexual abuse or rape or what have you. It's not much better. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. No. Nope. It's almost like we don't want it to be better society, you know? So it's not well. I, I think some people don't want it to be better. That's true. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> they often follow along a certain gender line. <laughs> yep, they do. But I feel like the people that do are getting louder and they are getting more power, which is good. Um, right. Yeah. I did want to ask what what do you think being a bitch means in the context of this story? Uh, I would say self-preservation. Is what that is, mm. is 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 what it means. Like you know, you know, mm-hmm. looking out for yourself, and and in Dolores's case, looking out for Selena as well. You know, do what mm-hmm. you got to do to keep you and yours safe. Right. Uh, to me, it just means literally using your voice mm-hmm. and not in not in an inspirational kind of like yeah, uh, good for her mantra like. If you are a woman in this text and you dare to open your mouth around men, you are being a bitch. Mm -hmm. And it's the only way that these women can survive in this world. Like, we see nothing but really horrible interactions with men. You know, it's not just a shitty husband. It's not just a a husband who doesn't pay attention to you and wants to do golf. Like, Mm -hmm. it's the way that Dolores is treated by Christopher Plummer's character. Mm -hmm. It's even the way that, you know, is that Elliot Gould who plays Jennifer Jason Lee's boss boyfriend? No, it's uh, uh, Eric Bogosian. Uh, okay, yeah. thank you. I always confuse the two. I mean, they look very much alike. I can see that. the hair. But even he, like, he's not a terrible dude. But he's, he's, he's obviously con- a he's prick. And he's, and he's condescending. Right. Yeah. 
Exactly. And the reality is, is that any of these women, if they dare to speak their minds, if they dare to talk about the things that they want or need or even fucking feel, mm-hmm. it's immediately positioning them as a bitch. And it's like, well, I, I, it is the perfect line for this movie. If you are going to be a woman and you want to get anything done, you have to be a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, we see them just kind of accept that. And we're like, you know, they're going to call me a bitch regardless. So I might as well just be a bitch, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, I have come to that moment in my own life, and it is so liberating. You know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, they're going to hate me regardless. So I might as well do the thing. Exactly. Like, I'm kind of to the point now with, like, writing and podcasting where, like, if I'm not pissing some people off, like, Am I saying something that matters, you know? Or are you self-censoring? Like, exactly. maybe you're not being true to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and I was, like, it's, and that's not to say that it is easy to say the bitchy things or to say the quote-unquote bitchy things, the bitchy things in the context of our conversation. Um, it is still hard, and I do still second-guess myself, and I do self-edit a lot, but I definitely do it a lot less than I used to. I'm like... It doesn't get me anywhere. I mean, I will say as the the person who sort of like uploads the episodes and does the descriptions and keeps an eye on our ratings Uh and download numbers and stuff. It's been really illuminating to see that the most common piece of feedback that we get is either people saying really love the show, the camaraderie, you know, the, the range of voices, the things that Jen and Gina are bringing to this table, or it's. Well, Jen and Gina don't seem to like men very much. <laughs> oh, God. You know, like, they, they seem kind of bitchy, and I'm just like, uh, sir, and uh-huh. I know that this is a sir, uh-huh. this is not the podcast for you. You need yeah. to go fuck yourself. Right. Yeah, and I think, like, that's something that I feel like I always want to say whenever I talk about feminism, too, is the goal of feminism is not to gain power over all men it's not to rule with an iron vagina you know it's like <laughs> to, i don't have to trademark that i like that it's too but also iron vagina is a movie i would watch <laughs> yeah we gotta rush this into production man um it's it's to get the same equality it's it's just mm-hmm. equality we just want to be treated it's like everybody just else. equality yeah mm-hmm. yeah you know and the the men that i hate are the men that don't want to give me that so you know Right. And why shouldn't we hate them? Why should we respect them? Why should we tell them we want to fuck them? Right. Fuck them Uh in the other way. Right. (laughs) Respect us. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, um, All right. Well, is there anything else we want to mention about Dolores Claiborne before we move on to our next book? I think the one other thing that I would say, just because we did talk about the repression with Selena. Mm -hmm. I, you know, as much as we enjoy the fact that Dolores gets some sweet ass revenge on Joe, (laughs) I like that it doesn't fix or heal Selena and there's still a lot of work to be done between the two women. So it's not like Joe's gone, man's gone, all of the problems are fixed. It's like, nope, there's still a lot of heavy emotional work to be done. Oh, yeah, totally. Because that is 
that's not an easy thing to uncover. I think if I have a quibble with this movie, it is the, and I get why they did it for narrative sake. It's the mm-hmm. moment where she's like, we're going to sit down and I'm going to tell you about this extremely traumatic thing from your childhood, whether you're ready to hear it right. or not. You know, <laughs> that's where I, I, like the first time I watched that, I was like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Dolores, you're not trained for that. <laughs> exactly. She's like, she's not ready. But I like that she hears this and then she uncovers the memory herself. Like she has to mm-hmm. take time when she is as ready as she can be in the context of the story to remember this incredibly traumatic thing. And then she gets, Dolores lets her do what she wants with this memory she has, you know? Mm-hmm. And and kudos to Jennifer Jason Lee. I gave her a shout out on Twitter and I was really mm-hmm. happy to see that people agreed with me. I just think that she's so, she's almost understated in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I I could see someone, I'm going to throw someone under the bus. I could see a Bridget Fonda from <laughs> this time period mm-hmm. being cast in this and not having the same kind of emotional depth or nuance. Like that scene of her watching her memory unfold on the ferry is so hard. Mm-hmm. And I think she does it so well. Like when she rushes into the bathroom and she just has to wet her face in her hair. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's really fucking real right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think she is great in this role. And she also, she has that scene. And then she's given me this awesome courtroom drama, you know, which I like, Mm -hmm. I'm a sucker for courtroom scenes, you know. And she's not even a lawyer in this scene. She's still bringing the, you can't handle the truth. She doesn't say you can't (laughs) handle the truth, but she comes really, really close. And I just eat it up. Yeah. Um, well, you know what movie does have a courtroom scene? That's right. It is Gerald's Game. And I think talking about Selena is a good way to transition into Gerald's Game because I feel like in a lot of ways, Dolores becomes a spiritual or a surrogate mother figure, not necessarily to Jesse, but if I were to combine these stories, like... Dolores is fighting for her daughter, and that is what Jesse Burlingame needs in this story. You know, she, well, she needs a lot of things, but that is, mm-hmm. she needs somebody that fought for her when she was too young to fight for herself. And I think a lot right. of the arc of this story is seeing what happens when you don't have that. When, as the movie says that I fucking love, when the people who were supposed to protect you from the monsters turn out to Ugh. be the monsters. Oh, rips yeah. my heart out every time. Well, and there's so much catharsis, too, when she ultimately becomes the person who advocates and fights for the other people in her position. Like, I almost worry that because this movie comes out so much later than something like Dolores Claiborne, that we accept the career path that Jesse steps into at the end of this film Mm -hmm. as a kind of like, oh, yeah, I've seen this sort of thing before, right? Like, she becomes a victim's rights advocate, Mm -hmm. or she becomes the wealthy philanthropist who helps out. But it's like, it's really powerful Mm -hmm. seeing her transform her trauma into like an opportunity to be strong Mm -hmm. but not in a way like she doesn't become a lawyer she becomes someone who literally tells her story every day and that's her fucking superpower Mm -hmm. right yeah the ending of this story or this movie gets criticism um for Mm -hmm. becoming you know i you brought up lifetime movies earlier and i think it's been compared to i think the war the 
the worst tendencies of Lifetime movies in some ways, but I fucking love the ending of this movie. Oh, I love the ending. I love it. Me too. It feels like the ending of a therapy session, you know? Like, I want hmm. to see Jesse step into the sun. I love it. I know we're skipping ahead, um, but yeah, <laughs> let's just go. Let's. Well, okay, so let's backtrack a little bit and then we'll talk about <laughs> the ending. Because I want to get your reactions just to this movie, just in general. And Gina, I know this was a first watch for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I had uh, avoided watching it, having remembered, having read and remembered very well the book. Uh, mm. I was a little shocked that they made it into a movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think this was the first time that I had been aware of Mike Flanagan because I'd not seen, I think Oculus came out oh. before this. So I, yes. uh, mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, I think, I think actually, believe it or not, the first Mike Flanagan thing I'd ever watched was The Haunting of Hill House. And, oh, uh, really? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and then I, you know, I now his, I don't want to say I'm his number one fan, but I, I because I'm sure there are other people <laughs> that could claim that title, because I still have not seen Oculus yet, but, but I have become oh, a, oh, Gina, a yes. massive fan of his in, 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 in mm-hmm. recent years. Because I think, and I think he's a perfect match to adapt Stephen King's work. Because again, mm-hmm. that whole you know bringing so much empathy to a story, which is something that horror really tends to lack, is is yeah. you know having characters that feel like you know, real relatable people who you know even if they're dealing with you know things beyond human comprehension, you know still feel real and feel like people you know or feel in some way like like yourself and so i think that that i I don't imagine anybody else could have done done as well with this material as mike flanagan did with it agreed right yeah i know this was he has been a huge fan of this book for a long time i think this was the first time mike flanagan was really on my radar was watching this movie Mm. i had seen oculus before um but I don't think I really connected him with it, you know? And I remember right. have, having read this book and loving it, um, thinking, like, how are you going to do this? Like, all of it's mm-hmm. about a woman who is in a room and nothing happened. I mean, lots of stuff happens, but nothing visual happens. It's all internal. It's all internal. Yes, because this is another first-person narration book, right? Yes, it is. And it's, uh, no, not quite. Oh, gosh. It's from her perspective, but 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 it is from her perspective. Everything that happens is she's imagining it. The the the, the most of it, yes, right. It's not okay. Okay. I think where I'm tripping, it's I don't believe it's first person, but it is all from her perspective. Yes, but not quite in the same way as Dolores Claiborne. But yeah, she's the only one, and she is talking to people in her head. Um, and so I know that he carried this book around and when people would ask him for pitches like this was his go-to pitch you know he had been wanting to make this movie for years and this Hmm. is always the one that everybody said was impossible to make and so i think he just nailed it you know there are some pretty significant differences but actually there are some pretty insignificant differences because i think this is really really faithful to the story the differences are um in the book she's not talking to herself and and Gerald, she's talking to her old college roommate, Ruth, who is a very progressive character who was trying to get her into therapy. 
Um, mm. And she is talking to, I guess, a version of herself um, that she calls good wife or goody Burlingame, who is like the the patriarchal, stereotypical good wife, you know. And so those are the two that are kind of battling in her head. The letter she writes oh. is to Ruth at the end. So it's not a letter to her younger self. I don't know which one I like better. Um, hmm. the other, a small difference is she, the whole, her last, um, statement in the court, which I fucking love is not in the book. She spits in Jubert's face in the oh. book, which is fun, hmm. but I like what she says in the movie. And then the other difference, yeah. which I think is pretty significant is Gerald is, um, a lot more clearly rape about to rape her in the book. He knows, like, there's a whole section about how she sees in his eyes that he knows she's not just playing along with this game. She really wants out, and he has decided to to believe that she is pretending in order to rape her. So she Ooh. actually kicks him, and that is what causes the heart attack. He doesn't just <laughs> have a heart attack. Yeah, I was going to say, my only issue, and, and it's nothing against his performance, he, he does really well. I feel like Bruce Greenwood mm-hmm. is a, a little too likable. <laughs> I <this>, agree. <laughs> in this role. And, and like, he's less, he's kind of distractingly handsome. And, uh, and like, oh my god, also, he's so fit for this movie. Also, yeah, he's way too fit for someone who supposedly does, you know, about a minute's away from having a heart attack. I'm like, dude, uh-huh. how are you having these heart about to have a heart attack? I I realize that they kind of hit because he has to take Viagra and and Viagra like raises your you know raises your blood pressure and it increases your heart rate. Mm-hmm. And there there have been some instances of men having a heart attack after using it. But I'm like, mm, I don't, I don't buy that he's in bad enough shape that taking that would, uh, would push him over the edge. But other than that, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a minor thing. I mean, people, you know, actors by design tend to be, you know, good looking. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I felt like he kind of has a sort of natural charm that, that, mm-hmm. you know, m- makes him, but, but at the same time, that also makes it creepier when he does sort of get right. into her discomfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that you're saying that. Uh, I haven't read the book, so I didn't know that he was rapier. I do think that that would set a very different kind of tone. Mm-hmm. I like that this feels playful, but miscommunicative. Like, mm-hmm. clearly they have diff- they have very different designs for how this weekend is going to go. And you can you can very quickly understand, oh, this is part of why their marriage and their sex life isn't working because they are not on the same page about certain things. Mm -hmm. But then I like that it puts the onus more on her. It's not like, oh, she just has a shitty husband and now she's got to figure this out. It's like things weren't terrible, but now she's in a terrible situation. But then we get to see how her mind changes him into someone who is more nefarious, who is more vindictive, who is more mean-spirited, mm-hmm. because I also think it gives Bruce Greenwood something different to play. But I like that it's it's really informing us about who Jesse is on the inside. Yeah. And that's a good point, because the Bruce Greenwood that we see, or the Gerald that we see, is only himself until he dies. And everything yes. after this is Jesse's projection of it's her him. projection yeah right. right which i think is a really interesting turn right because he's kind of 
mocking her and like you know being mm-hmm. condescending but i thought an interesting moment when yeah. she when she brings when she brings up the the fact that her father molested her he looks kind of like you know like shocked and almost like like sympathetic like like you He's know surprised, like, right. like 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 oh i didn't realize this you know what i mean and and yeah, yeah I, I thought that was an interesting moment like she kind of you know gave him that you know what i mean like like she didn't think she didn't think so mm-hmm. badly of him that that she wouldn't think that he would you know would react he wouldn't react with at least some level of sympathy for what she experienced yeah mm-hmm. and it kind of goes back to what you were saying joe is like if she had been able to tell him what would their relationship be like now you know what mm-hmm. w- would they be on such different pages and that's not to blame her for not telling him i think it was it's clear she just wasn't ready to do that for a lot of reasons but i think it it, it is cast a little bit differently in the book because bruce greenwood is <laughs> because gerald is is a personification of this rather than somebody else because in the book he just dies and she remembers things about him but then he's Kind of just something that he's she out of steps the story. Over. Yeah, he's he's literally yeah. dog food, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting, and I really like the way, like I love the changes to this. I like these this book and this adaptation. I think I love them both equally for slightly different reasons. You know, I understand mm-hmm. why he made the changes he made, and I love them, even though. I love what the book is doing too. It's just, it's just slightly different. Um, And there's one, I feel like I thought this was a quote from the movie and I can't ever find it, but there's a time when Jesse is telling her younger self, it's possible that it could be in the book that she says, just because it wasn't the worst thing that anybody's ever done doesn't mean it's nothing. And that I just love that moment. And I think it goes to what you were saying, Joe, about, their relationship. It's not the worst marriage ever. It's not Dolores mm-hmm. and Joe's marriage. You know, it's there is some good there, but that doesn't mean that they're in a good place. That doesn't mean that Jesse isn't still hurting. And that doesn't mean that it's good. It's just that, like, I think with survivors of abuse and like survivors of trauma, it's really easy to tell yourself that because XYZ didn't happen. It doesn't it's count. It's not that bad. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, uh, not to get too personal, but I, for a long time in my head, I said, well, I never had to go to the hospital, so it wasn't abuse, you know? And I think there's God. a real, I know, there's a real tendency to kind of tell yourself that. Like we even see sure. her saying like, he didn't touch me, he touched himself. And so there's, it's easy to say so did he actually do anything wrong? And I think what I love is the movie is saying, yes, it's still wrong and mm-hmm. it's okay for you to be hurt by this, you know? Well, it's sort of a, right. the, the, yeah. the, the abuse he he commits upon her, it's sort of a, a, a there's also psychological abuse there too, because uh-huh. in yeah. this, this absolutely skin crawling scene where he visits her after it's happened and he's like, well, Maybe we should tell your mom. I mean, we we probably should, but you know, you already have such a difficult relationship with her, and 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 you know, he's just sort of doing this reverse psychology on her, and and yeah, you know, sort of making it sound like it might have been her fault a little bit, and and bringing up the fact not sort of fully, Uh yeah. 
and bringing up the fact that for whatever reason the mother just does not get along with her we don't we don't really see uh-huh. this too much that the the mom no. seems to be, the mom seems to be really blowing you know you know snotty twelve year old behavior uh-huh. out of proportion like she doesn't want to go on a boat and on a boat ride and the mother's like oh well she's going you know causing trouble mm-hmm. and and <laughs> oh he, she doesn't want to go to boat what a bitch you know, <laughs> right and, and, it's like what <laughs> and it's heavily implied that the mom knows something's going on mm-hmm. and, but you know evidently never acted on it and never you mm-hmm. know pursued it or anything so that's another that's another betrayal uh-huh. um, yeah. and unfortunately that's you know a very common situation yeah. in, in abusive households where the other parent will just look the other way mm-hmm. you know because either they, they can't you know they're, they're they just can't wrap their minds around it or they depend on the other the other parent mm-hmm. too much or they do you know, it sounds horrible to say, or they do blame the child in some way for uh-huh. it. Yes. So this, this sort of, you know, manipulation he does on her is is you know, poor Henry Thomas, man. Like, I know. Always, always <laughs> no, I love it because the the movie is weaponizing our feelings of goodwill towards him because mm-hmm. we see him and we think he's such a nice guy, yep. and the movie knows that. Mike Flanagan knows that and uses it against us. Yeah, mm-hmm. like he always, you know, except maybe for uh, um, like Hell House, right? Uh, no, um, he was he was uh, in Jesus uh, Midnight Mass. Oh, he's like okay. one of the only, it's like one of the only right, times he's right, playing right, a right. decent character, <laughs> right? By Flanagan movie, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, and, and he's you know, if anything, see Joe in in Dolores Claiborne is just a straight villain. He, yeah, he's an yes. ogre. But here, like this, he's soft spoken and he's affectionate, mm-hmm. and he's in all other ways a good father and and. He seems to be a good husband, which just makes this even more monstrous and even mm-hmm. and, and, and even more unsettling and creepy. Yeah. It it feels to me a bit more like a contemporary take, right? Like mm-hmm. I was fascinated. I didn't realize that the two books were released in the same year because in my mind, Gerald's game has always been a newer text. Mm-hmm. I think because I knew that there was such a distance between the films. Mm-hmm. But the way that Henry Thomas plays this character to me feels more modern, right? It's mm-hmm. this is how these sociopaths are hiding in plain sight is because to all appearances, it's not, oh, Joe, when he goes down to the pub, he's the most popular person. Then he comes back and beats his wife. It's like this dude knows exactly how to play it because uh-huh. he can get away with it by doing it this way, right? Yeah. She talks about like that on the swing. That wasn't the worst thing. The The worst thing was what he did to you in the bedroom. And the first time I read that, I was like, oh, shit. Mm. You know, your mind just goes to the worst possible thing. And I love that this movie really brings out the idea that it's while the abuse itself is bad, it's the manipulation that has caused yeah. the long term damage, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm interested. i I've got two questions that I want to pose to the two of you. One, it's never clear to me whether Jesse fully knows or has processed what has happened to her until these moments when she is handcuffed. Mm -hmm. Like, because we talked about, you know, oh, uh, you know, Bruce Greenwood, Gerald seems surprised and she gives him that sympathy. But to me, it that reaction is also because it's like, that's something she had never accepted 
herself. And as a result, there's that part of her that's like, oh my God, we never realized this. Because of course, Gerald is just a manifestation of her own sort of repressed memories. Mm -hmm. That's how I took it. Yeah, I think when I look at like the symbolism in the movie, and the movie makes this a little more clear than, than the book does, I think like she's realizing that because her father just placed all of this blame on her and really made her feel like she was to blame for not going along with everything she said, like she has continued to live a life of going along, you know, and letting men tell her what to do or trying to please men or trying to avoid being hurt by them. And I think mm. Jesse, who had processed this earlier, might not have let herself be handcuffed. You know, she would have right. said, and that sounds like I'm victim blaming, but like she, I don't think she would have been in that position because I think she would have been able to speak up more and say, I don't feel comfortable with this before the handcuffs are on her, you know? Right. Yeah, I, I, in terms of how much does she remember about all this, I, the reason why she and Gerald are going on, on this weekend trip is, you know, they need to quote unquote spice up their marriage, which is, mm -hmm. which is, you know, sort of a, a, a euphemism for, you know, you know, we ain't fucked in a while, so let's do something <laughs> about it. Exactly. And, you know, there's, you know, she makes mention that, you Gerald has has been with other women and you know he kind of complains about the the quality of their sex life and so this seems like something that she has been struggling with you know whether it's an ability to just enjoy sex or you know mm -hmm. does, you know which you know again is something very common in sexual abuse survivors mm -hmm. you know they right. they are they are unable to relax they're unable to to you know enjoy themselves sexually without feeling some level of guilt or, or, you know, feeling quote unquote dirty about it afterward. Mm -hmm. But if she doesn't remember this, you know, she's probably taken on an incredible amount of guilt and feeling like a, a, a bad and disappointing wife for not, you know, being able to give him what he wants in that regard or to give him what she feels, you know, I don't want to, I don't even know if I want to use the phrase entitled to. Because nobody's mm -hmm. entitled to sex, but you know, no. part of part of a healthy relationship is you know, yeah. it's a healthy sex life, and yeah. and you know, if she had been able to face this in herself and hopefully face it with Gerald and work through it, they might have been able to overcome it, and none of this would have uh -huh. happened. And it's just so it, it it's a, it's a tragedy all around. Yeah, yeah, and I want to kind of backtrack just a little bit to Dolores Claiborne because we see these two really upsetting scenes of child abuse, child sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And I think the actress who plays Selena, young Selena and Dolores Claiborne, I got to look it up real quick because she's just fantastic in that role. Ellen Muth. Muth? Yeah, she she's from Dead Like Me, the oh. Brian Fuller show. Oh, cool. Um, she's great in that role. And there's a moment when she is on the bench with Joe and she's saying, no, no, no. And then you just see the life go out of her eyes and she just yeah. stares and she just shuts down. And I think like if I were to connect the two experiences, like I think that's kind of what Jesse has been doing for all of these years, not, not in the same way, but like, I think she has emotionally shut down in a way that would allow her to connect with Gerald. 
that would help their mm-hmm. relationship, you know? Like they talk about that's why I love the symbolism of the eclipse is she talks about the sun going out and like the eclipse the sun has been out for for all of these years because she hasn't moved to the other side, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that we know nothing about Jesse before this weekend. Like, it's Mm -hmm. by virtue of the narrative. You know, we see them as they're driving to this summer cottage, and we can make inferences about their wealth and their privilege and maybe a little bit about what he does. You know, we we hear about how expensive the stakes are and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But we have no idea what she does. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, she is a complete blank slate. Like... Mm -hmm. She might as well be the same person as the girl that we see in the flashbacks to the eclipse because we we don't know anything else about her life. It's like the trauma has just ruined her until she is able to just process this and start to find the light on the other side. Mm-hmm. Which is a thing that a lot of people do. You know, it's, you can get along for a long time without accessing this stuff and just kind of painting over the top of the wallpaper, you know, and not really Mm -hmm. looking, you know, I did it for a long time. And it was actually this book, reading this book that helped me in a lot of ways start to like go through some of some past things that I needed to really address. And that's one of the things that I love so much about this story is I think we see a really good example of a trigger and how a trigger can affect you in the moment here. It's the trigger is when Gerald calls her, uh, when Gerald calls himself daddy. And so she is making the connection between daddy and her father. And in the book, it is, it's a little grosser. Gerald is drooling on her. And the connection is that the drool reminds her of the semen that her, yeah, it's, it's a lot more explicit in the book. I'm glad we don't see it and it doesn't go that far, but she talks about like the wet spot on the back of her underwear and the smell that it had. And so the trigger is seeing that drool that is about Mm. to hit her. And that's, that's the trigger. And that, I feel like triggers are like the word trigger is really overused in a lot of ways. Like it's, it's getting to a point, not overused, but I feel like it's starting to lose meaning. Yeah. People like, apply mm. to anything, but that's, but, but the way it's depicted there, that's, that's how it works. It's it's something seemingly unrelated that just like turns on a switch in your brain. Yeah. You know, and then be, suddenly be, you're back there where you were in this traumatic moment. Yeah, it could be it could be a smell. It could be it's it's wild. I mean, he he did his homework when he wrote this book. He really did, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Flanagan did his homework as well when he was adapting. Oh yeah, it, you know, I think it. <laughs> I don't want to fangirl out too much, but it just blows <laughs> my mind. Like I just love him so much. Um, oh, but yeah. I think, and maybe I want to talk about the symbolism of the well and the symbolism of the eclipse. Um, but before we do, I want to give a shout out. This is kind of unrelated to how terrifying this movie is also. Like, it's not really related to what we're talking about, but like the the, <laughs> the Midnight Man. Yes. It's so terrifying. And the and that's not even to mention the degloving scene. Like there is horror, Ooh, terror, uh, repulsion. Like th- this film and this story is just firing on all cylinders of horror, you know? Which is hilarious because it's a woman who's literally handcuffed to a bed totally. for about 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. But it just like shows. Like it should not work. It shouldn't work, but it does. 
Oh, yeah. That degloving scene, I will uh, confess, I've only seen a fraction of it. Um, and I mm-hmm. I don't even, like, I've reread this book a lot of times, and I skip those pages now. I can't I can't do it. It's like two pages in the book of describing that. Yeah, I knew I, I knew about the degloving scene both because I had read the book and because I people had mentioned it. And, and yeah. I like I like when I saw it coming, I was like I just kind of like braced myself and like like kind of like winced and looked away a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. I just made a lot of loud guttural noises, which ultimately ended up attracting my husband's attention because he doesn't like horror and he doesn't watch any of these things with me, but he's in the same room on the other side. And so, of course, he turns around and he's like, what the fuck are you watching right now? (laughs) Oh, gosh. That's like maybe the worst moment to come in on a movie. Right. Oh, God. Yeah. Um slightly related i watched this with my husband too the first time i was so excited i think we watched it like the day it dropped on netflix and mm-hmm. like it i just st- like after it was over i was just crying for like 10 minutes i was like oh like good cathartic mm-hmm. crying like yep. it was good and it led to a really good conversation that we needed to I have know. like kind okay. of like we were just talking about like a conversation that I feel like Gerald and Jesse could have really benefited from, like me and Corey were able to have a conversation similar to that, you know, about like why this movie meant so much to me. Um, we also had a similar conversation about uh, Dr. Sleep <laughs> after. So Flanagan, like, mm. it just he yeah. gets me. Um, but let's talk about the ending. I know we started talking about it a little bit earlier, um, and then I <laughs> backtracked us. Um, but Gina, I know you were really affected by the ending. Yeah, just like when she goes to the to the courtroom and to watch um, Raymond Joubert get sentenced, and then just like so she sees her father, and then she sees mm. Gerald, and just the, the way the scene is cut, mm-hmm. it's it, it it really affected me like in in a, in a profound way. I just thought it was it was. And then, like, and then the, of course, the irony is Joubert sees her, and he thinks she's not real. Mm, he th- right. he th- he thinks she was a you know, they they both th- thought the other one was a figment of their imagination, which I which I I thought was an interesting approach to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like all of that stuff. It's in part it the scene is a little bit long, so mm. when you're not expecting it, like the first time I saw this film, I thought, okay, cool, and now we're gonna get to see sort of what happens next, and it becomes this extended sequence about her, you know, reading about it and all the papers and that kind of stuff. And it, it just felt like a bit of a, like a narrative shift that I wasn't quite expecting. Mm -hmm. And I liked her confronting him. I liked the realization that he also thought she was fake. I think the thing that turns me off a little bit is the details of his crimes. Mm -hmm. There's something about it that I, I would prefer it if he was just breaking into houses or stealing jewelry, or even if he was there, like, desecrating corpses, but not, like, fucking them, not then actually sexually assaulting living people and killing real people. Sorry, not real people. Alive people. (laughs) It it feels gratuitous and almost unnecessary Mm -hmm. and i feel like it's it's a last minute like hey horror bros we're gonna get this kind of weird thing in and i feel like it takes away from jesse's realization and catharsis Mm -hmm. 
you know, I'll agree with you that it, it there the, the details there do start to get a little over the top after after a, a certain point. So yeah, I, I will mm-hmm. I would agree with I would agree with that. And the details, a lot of them are out of the book, but I feel like it is a little more salacious in the movie. Uh, we also get a little more time with the description of who he is, too. So it doesn't mm. feel like you meet this person and then you hear about these horrific things he's doing. You know, it feels I mean, we don't we don't spend time with him as a character, but it, it I think it's a little more graceful in the book. I, I agree with you. Um, yeah, because I, I also worry that it's, this is maybe just me putting mm-hmm. on my woke hat for a little bit, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I worry that it's slightly ableist yep. because it's kind of like, oh my God, he's got these physical deformities and he fucks people and he murders people and eats earlobes or collects earlobes and stuff. And you're just like, okay. I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. that there are real life cases and Stephen King probably isn't just like willy-nilly throwing this kind of shit on the page but it it felt like it was deliberately saying oh it's not enough that he's doing these horrible things it's like oh he's also physically deformed right and i think like cuz this is this was a big conversation um among the losers club is whether or not we wanted him to be real at all you know mm-hmm. there are, um a couple of my fellow losers who would have preferred us never to know that he was real. Um, right. I want him to be real because I want the, I want her to have that confrontation in the courtroom, you know, mm-hmm. um, because Gina, like you, I love the moment where she sees the different faces. Cause I think that's such a clear representation. Oh, it's so yeah. It's like, yeah. this is, that's like the effect of a trigger, you know, it's like something mm-hmm. happens and you see somebody else. Like, like there is a, a former president that I started seeing uh, somebody else whenever I would hear his voice, you know? So that was like, such a great tangible way of representing that. Um, But I'm curious, do you, so Joe, would you prefer if he was not real or if we didn't know he was real at all? I'll confess the first time I saw this, I would have preferred that he not be real Mm -hmm. or even that it just be left uncertain. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it was in her mind because she was hallucinating and she was on the verge of death or maybe it was real and there's, you know, the bloody footprint that mm-hmm. she did see and how do you explain it away? That was the sort of like horror mystery lover in me wanting just that lack of closure. I thought it would have been more satisfying. But the reality is that the more I talk about this movie and particularly with women, often they will talk about the scene that Gina talked about and having that kind of reaction. Mm -hmm. And I think that the impact on viewers is more important. And I've actually swung around and come to like it. Yeah, I want her to have closure. You know, I feel like it would be scarier. Like it -hmm. it lingers in the mind more if we never know if he was real or not. But like, I feel like I am so connected to Jesse in this story that I want her to have that moment where she walks into the sunshine, you know? Well, and here's the thing. So we're talking good for her. So this is that moment, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is the the moment where the degloving, like she goes through hell to get herself Mm -hmm. out of this situation. Like she overcomes, like, I don't know what I would have done. You know, I try to put myself in that position and imagine if I could have done that and like. No, we all would have died. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. Done. Yeah. Dog yeah. would eat my face off. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Exactly. I wouldn't have even made it this far. I know. I'd be like, wait, there's water somewhere. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> oh, I know. I love the way that she pieces that together in the movie. Yeah, but I think the good for her really is that she the sun, the eclipse goes out, you know, the eclipse, like in the book, one of the lines that I love is no eclipse lasts forever, you know, and this Mm. idea of the sun coming back out again, like there is recovery. One of the things that I love about that final scene is that we see her tell her story and that we see her tell it to a boy also, which I Mm -hmm. think is just a small moment, but it just goes so far to like letting people know, like, it's not just women or people yeah. that identify as women who are sexually assaulted. Like it happens to everyone. Um, yes. And I think that's, that's such a touching moment. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get too personal again, but like I had <laughs> a pretty, <laughs> a pretty bad first husband and he like lived really largely in my mind. And I was watching this movie and then, going into therapy and I had avoid I'd thrown all the pictures of him away and I finally looked at one and he just looked so pathetic and I had that moment of you're so much smaller than I remember like I am (sighs) feeding this power you know like and so when I hear her say that it just like I cry every time because it's so true you know and I think if Jubair isn't real we don't get that you know Mm -hmm. um all right. Well, is there anything else we want to mention about Gerald's game specifically that we haven't said yet? So I do have one other thing. Okay. I mentioned earlier I had two questions and I uh, asked one oh, yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. But it it's come back around because, uh, you know, part of this is that she, as you said, Gina, she sees the faces of her father, but mm-hmm. also her husband in Joubert. And... I wanted to ask the two of you, and I'm sorry to do this because I hate (laughs) being this presumptuous, but Mm. as women, (laughs) does this work for you in terms of switching out the goody character for Gerald and then also having her confront a man who embodies these characteristics of the other men who have heard her? Because I feel like it's a huge switch. Like it would have played extremely differently to have had the person who antagonizes her or who tries to make her fail be another woman. Because I feel like I have a very strong reaction to like a woman telling another woman that she can't do it compared to a not great husband or a manifestation of a bad husband. But I'm curious your perspectives as two women. Yeah, I I think I I prefer it with the uh, with it being Mm -hmm. Gerald and her father because you know she she hasn't been victimized by by women in her life and and this is just her Mm -hmm. own her her own negative you know, self-consciousness taunting her and that's the same voice right. that you know has convinced her that you know, this was your fault you know you could have stopped him you could have done more mm-hmm. I, I but i don't think that that's the real villain that she's that she's confronting here i, I think yeah. it, you do it, no it, it, it would be less healing of her to can to confront herself rather than to confront her her victimizers Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when I look at her, uh, this kind of Bruce Greenwood version of Gerald there, it's not necessarily like this terrible husband she was married to. It's kind of just like her relationship with men in general mm-hmm. and that he these are just the three men that we know of in her life. 
I'm curious, and I think this can kind of tie us back to the good for her element of this, because I kind of want to ask you, Joe, um, I also think it's hard for me to answer that question because I have read, like I am so (laughs) connected to the version of Gerald that is in the book that it's hard for me to see, um, it's hard for me to really buy Bruce Bruce Greenwood in a lot of ways. So so Mm -hmm. as someone who has not read the book at all, pretend you don't know about Ruth and the good wife. Do you think Mm -hmm. that um, Gerald earns that spot in the courtroom? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I would almost say no, but also I don't know who Gerald really is apart from he reminds me of Vera's husband Mm, from Dolores mm -hmm. Claiborne, where he doesn't seem like the most supportive or engaged partner. But I don't think that he's a bad dude from from what little I see of him. So I'll confess, I was surprised to see his face in there. But I think it makes sense from what the pair of you have said that this isn't necessarily about specific people. It's about Jesse's relationship to mm-hmm. men, right? Like she has to process that she was irrevocably harmed. Mm-hmm. And that has probably influenced or informed all the relationships that she has had with men moving forward. So this is more about her trust issues, about her progression. And I think that's also why it's really important that it's herself that she sees that encourages her, who is, you know, she's smart, she's capable, she's on top of the situation. Like, for me, hearing the way the book unfolds, I'm sure it's great. But the film version sounds way better to me. <laughs> I would, I can see that. And there are a lot of things I love about the film version. I will say, I think in a visual medium, seeing her talk to herself is extremely powerful. In the book, mm-hmm. it just feels like her the whole time. It's really I think it's easier because it's all from her perspective. It's easier to remember that these are aspects of her and not different Mm -hmm. people. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because something, something I always find powerful about the film is that it does feel... You know, like I've I've seen people say, oh, it feels stagey. There's not not enough Mm -hmm. action. But I... I really emphatically disagree mm-hmm. with that because I think not just the way that Flanagan and company shoot this, like we're getting tons of different angles and he's finding new ways to make it visually exciting. But by having uh, Carla Gugino speak to herself, but in a completely different fashion, as we watch her physical form degrade, the manifestation of her is always empowered and sheer perfection visually. And then, of course, we get to see Bruce Greenwood as like a completely different figure. Like we're not going to confuse that. And yet it always feels like, yeah, she is having this conversation in Mm -hmm. her head. Well, and I think that can kind of lead me into my final thought on this. And I kind of want to see if you two have any final thoughts about this movie and Dolores Claiborne as we're kind of winding down. But I think one of the enduring images of this movie for me is her sitting on the bench with her younger self and the eclipse is over their head and the whole screen is red. I think it's such gorgeous imagery, but I've actually used it in my therapy as an, like an image of reparenting, you know, 
like mm. my therapist lots of times will say, what would you say to younger Jen? You know, and I think we see right. that in this movie <laughs> and I think it's a really powerful image. And so my final thoughts on this, the, both of these stories combined is that I love them dearly. They mean a lot to me and they've made my life better, you know, because of, I think the honesty that they're really willing to confront, like these are, these are really hard stories to, um, watch and read. And I think, but I think there are hard things that happen in life and I appreciate seeing them treated with such compassion and honesty. I think that either movie could have, could have, easily tipped over into melodrama and luridness and and Mm. and they and they just sort of walk a very fine line Mm -hmm. and avoid Mm -hmm. and and avoid doing that and i think it's the movies are so similar in themes and it's interesting though that that joe and and uh jesse's father are you know there are two very different approaches to the, to the same type of man mm-hmm. that you know right. the, the man that sort of feels entitled to to you know treat his daughter like his property and you know we're even like there are hints that Joe is doing the same sort of psychological manipulation on on Selena that uh that Jesse's father does to her, which he gives her a, a yes. necklace. It's like a family heirloom, and uh-huh. it, it was sort of, sort of both of them are sort of setting up that they you know have this very special relationship that it's just the two of them against the mom, even though even though the mother can't know any about any, any about any of this, and you know sort of like an us against her kind of dynamic, but mm-hmm. in, in two different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I've learned two things. One, that I don't like to cover movies where there's a character named Joe because <laughs> hearing Gina say my name that way. I just put that together like, too. Ooh. I was like, oh. <laughs> Gina wants to kill me. <laughs> yeah, I think Joe should die too. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> Joe saying ooh, George. Ooh. Joe lives it. Joe lives it. It's delightful. Joe has left oh. the chat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But on a on a serious note, yeah, I I will say I think it's really easy for me as a man who has never experienced sexual assault, who has never been accused of being a bitch for opening my mouth. Um, well, maybe to my face, but it's really easy for me to be kind of glib and say these are relatively straightforward stories. They're incredibly well acted and well written. But at the end of the day, they're relatively simple. You know, it's a it's a lot of conversations between a lot of women. And it's one of the reasons that I love doing the show with the two of you is that you constantly force me to reappraise my very simplistic readings of things and dig deeper and understand like the two of you are so empathetic and in like, you're very, very good at negotiating your feelings and verbalizing them in ways that allow me to make stronger connections to these texts. And so, A, thank you for that. But also, B, it's really helped me to gain an appreciation of how these movies are doing really heavy lifting and making it they're doing it so effortlessly that to some people like Stupid Dumb Dumb Me, it could come off as very simple. So kind of you to say it made me cry. That really is. I'm, I know. I'm, I'm humbled. 
I am. I will say, I you are far from dumb, dumb. You, I, I really <laughs> oh, yeah, applaud no. your your willingness to listen, also, and to and I realize that probably sounds condescending, but you know, I know a lot of people that don't, so I want to say mm. thank you for that, also, and thank you to both of you for talking about these two movies with me. These are like passion stories for me, you know, and but I know they're not easy conversations to have. I, I'm, mm. I'm actually very glad that I finally watched Gerald's game. Yeah. So, so thank you. Thank you for giving me an excuse to do that. Yeah, Gita, I was so excited for you when I saw you post mm-hmm. that. And then you also posted those images of the end on Twitter and you talked about like how it made you feel. And it was in brief. And I was really glad to be able to have the conversation with you in mm-hmm. person so we could unpack it. But I was like, God damn, Gina, like just going straight <laughs> to the heart of it right there. Like if you doubted how powerful this moment was, bam, 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 mm-hmm. bam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I had just watched it again as I saw that. And I'm just so staring up a little bit. So, yeah. Well, all right. As we are wrapping up, um, Joe, where can we find you on? Mm-hmm. So people can find me at B Storm My Remote, and that's the letter B. And uh, of course, you know, I have a bunch of other side hustles. <laughs> so if folks want to hear me talk about horror shorts, I'm on the altar tapes sometimes. And I've got the YA podcast adaptation. So Jen, I, I sympathize with your struggle <laughs> to be like, well, in the right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I've got horror queers every Wednesday. Right. And Gina, what about you? I am the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast, in which we talk about horror movies according to the characters. Uh, we also have uh, a side project that we're just about wrapping up on. Uh, it's called Dish by Dish, in which we are re-watching uh, Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And I also write about movies and television at thespool.net. Awesome. And you can find me at Jim Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me co-hosting uh, the Losers Club podcast. So I have alluded to my podcast about Stephen King. If you want to hear more, 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 more of my thoughts <laughs> so much on more. Stephen King. Yes, yes. If you thought this was a long episode, check out some Losers Club episodes um, where we talk all about Stephen King. And you can also hear me on the Psychoanalysis Podcast, which is about horror and mental health. Also, a lot of themes that we talked about in this episode. And yeah, just writing and doing stuff. And <laughs> so that's where I am. Um, and we want to give a big thank you to the Anatomy of a Screen Pod Squad. Please make sure to check out the other fantastic shows like Bodies of Horror, The Altar Tapes, which Joe mentioned, White Ladies in Crisis, which is our show, hey. and the new Ooh. Such Sights to Show, which is about Hellraiser, which I am so excited about. Yeah, that one was a fun one because Brian and I were recording those episodes like back in January. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> it's a Jeez. lot of spitballing. Were you just waiting for the uh, um, the announcement of when it was going to drop to drop 100%. the episodes? 100%. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so exciting. Um, well, so and listeners, thank you so much for joining us. And I guess for now... All the Joes of the world need to clean up their act because <laughs> I don't want Joe's name to be just besmirched. Yeah, except right. this say. Joe. This Joe is a delight. Yeah. The, this Joe pass. is unimpeachable. <laughs> Present Joe excluded from that comment. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> Here I thought we were going to say something inspirational oh, about sorry. eclipses, but sure. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I just don't want your name dragged through the mud anymore. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scream Pod Squad.